Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I've discovered what it is. What are you talking about, Richard? Sunshine makes me happy. I hear the music, the show's about to start, I'm excited, I'm trying to decide if I'm going to do like a good morning Vietnam entrant, uh, entrance, to. I mean, I'm just like fired up and feel like I need to talk loud, and I'm going, what is it? You know, when it's gray and rainy and cold, you're just kind of, nah. But when the sun's out and it's bright, and it, I mean, even if it's cold, but the sun's out, makes you feel good. Feeling good rolling into Sports Talk Mississippi with you. On this hump day, this Wednesday afternoon, the 9th of January, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Haydad, do you subscribe to this theory? Sun's out, better mood. Absolutely. 100%. Okay. You know, that, okay. something like what was it called? Seasonal affective disorder. That's a real thing when you, it's all gray and cloudy all the time. You feel down. You need the sun to, to give you that boost. You know, I think maybe it was like a little bit of an excuse, but my wife, Jane, um, was convinced that she had seasonable, uh, seasonable, seasonal depression. This yeah. was earlier in our marriage. She's like, I just get kind of down in a funk in January. Now, the fact that her best friend lived on South Beach at the time, that's where it comes in where I go, maybe it was just a little bit of an excuse. <laughs> It was like that was the that was the oomph she needed to push her out the door and uh, and head for South Florida in January, which kind of makes sense. Not a bad way to do it if you can, but uh, it's nice. Sports talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. You a farmer in North Mississippi? Maybe all of the rain has given you a little bit of seasonal depression. Well, no fear. Sun's coming out. It's going to warm up before long. We'll be planting crops before long. You need a land financing partner, and Mississippi Land Bank can be that for you in North Mississippi. They've got branch locations spread out all across the northern half of the state. You can go to their website, mslandbank.com, see some of the surface, uh, services they offer, and you can talk to other people that have done business with them. I guarantee you that they will vouch for the people at Mississippi Land Bank. Good honorable, honest people who understand the land financing world, understand your needs as a farmer, mslandbank.com, where they know the lay of the land. Borky, do you get grumpy when it's uh, cloudy outside, or are you just kind of grumpy all the time? (laughs) Come on, man. You were all set to respond, and then I put the tag on the end of it, and you just said, I'm out, right? Yeah, one of these days I'm just going to be out and turn off your mic and let there be dead air for three hours. But um, honestly, no, I think the the colder weather, the cloudy weather, and even rain kind of calms me down. So I, I don't know if I'd call it depression, but 
it's I feel like everything I'm at ease when it's kind of nasty out I don't know why it's it's not like I'm happier but I don't get down like some people do I just I relax more see for me it's I can take a couple of those days like if we've had a run a nice sunny whatever weather man a good gray cloudy day I think it does the I think it does the body good does the soul good every now and then I just don't need a month of it if that makes sense yeah, just you know, a, I mean, just hope you never get forced to move to Minnesota or something or Cleveland. Cleveland. Yeah, you get sun for like six weeks in Cleveland. Huh. Well, if that's the case, if that's if that's real and not just um, you know, it's a bit hyperbole, but I do have f- extended family in all parts of Ohio, and every time I've been, with the exception of one summer weekend. It's been like overcast and just kind of cruddy. Well, the good news is it's not overcast and it is not cruddy here today. Good to be with you. You can text the show 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. I'm Jim Cantori, the guy on the Farm Bureau phone line, Mike Betts. We've got all your weather. Oh, wait. Wrong, wrong guys. Uh, hey, Dad. Let's talk some hoops. Yes, sir. Uh I like what Borky writes here. Mississippi State suffered a very, quote, it's tough to win on the road in the SEC, close quote, loss in overtime last night to South Carolina. And there's some truth to that. We talked about it yesterday. That was a game they needed to win. Yeah, It's game one of 18 in the regular season in SEC play. It's not like it makes or breaks the season, but it makes the work in front of you more difficult than what it could have been with a win last night. What it what it really does, Richard, as far as I can I can tell, is it, it just frustrates fans more than anything. Because I think you and I both know that if State goes on and wins the games it should win the rest of the way, that and this loss won't 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 kill them or anything. You know, it's a bad loss. There's no question about that. But what it does is everybody was about to be fully on board. Right? This team is good. Here we go. Beat South Carolina and let's pack the house against Ole Miss. On Saturday, and now it's 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 just more questions. It's more. Oh, uh, is it is it is it not going to happen? What 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 happened there? Why did this occur? And it, it's just it's more of a, a of a, of an attitude amongst fan base, and I think the team the team will be fine. I think I think you know they're still a good team. They just didn't play well last night, and they had a guy, you know, who goes for eight points a game, score twenty five because they just couldn't do a good job of defending him. I think they'll be fine, but. It's it's definitely one of those things where it's just when is it going to happen? When is the the the, the team going to finally turn the corner? It's it's been nearly a decade. When is it finally just going to be state wins the games they're supposed to win? Yeah, I think that's a reasonable way to look at it, and and I tend to agree with you that this team's going to be fine. I mean, they scored eighty two points. Yeah, last night, seven of those came in overtime, but. Defensively, I didn't think they did enough. No, um, you know, from a they're out rebounded by seven in the game. I would say specifically in the rebounding conversation, giving up sixteen offensive rebounds is a problem. Yeah, uh, we, we talked going into last night about the fact that South Carolina does not shoot it very well from three. They didn't shoot it very well from three last night. Thirty-five percent. They're eight of twenty-three. Right. 
you, you can you can live with that three point defense, which was one of the concerns for Ben Howland going in. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is this was the worst ranked team, and I don't know if that's saying it the right way, but as far as SEC teams go, it was the lowest ranked team in the net mm-hmm. in the entire conference. And South yeah. Carolina's net ranking jumped a bunch last night because of their win. They went from 173 to 151. Mississippi State, pretty good fall. They go from 19 to 32. Yeah. And, again, you don't want to make too much out of one game because all of this you can overcome with fans, with the polls, with rankings, with positioning for postseason, all those things. But when you lose a game like that early, you got a black mark on your resume, and you kind of have to work doubly hard to overcome that. that that's the part of it that, that I think goes to your question a second ago that you kind of wrapped up with is, when are you going to win the games you're supposed to win consistently? Yeah. You know, a season ago, this, that game was was against Ole Miss up at the Pavilion. You, you might remember. State had a double-digit lead in the second half in that game. It looked like they were cruising to a win. Okay, things are going the right way. And then Ole Miss goes on a huge run and wins that game. And I'm telling you, that, that, that game left a sour taste in everybody's mouth for months. You, you couldn't stop thinking about it. And I, I don't know that this game is going to be the same way, but it definitely it's a head-turner. It's one where you look at it and go, what happened? Where did it go wrong? And there's quite a few places. Borky has one of the big stats here on the rundown that the bench points 28-2 to in favor of South Ooh. Carolina. State missed uh, 10 free throws. They were 13 of 23 off the line. And in a game that goes into overtime, you, you just got to think, gosh, if you just make one more free throw, that, that never happens. Um, so yeah, just just it, it raises a lot of questions that weren't there the uh, weren't there this time yesterday. I found the you know when we talked to Richard Williams yesterday and and we were talking about perimeter defense and how Ben Howland has been talking about that and like you said they they defended the perimeter okay but State could not stop South Carolina in the paint. Uh, Silva and and Kotsar just kept getting easy baskets and Adu and Holman were just almost powerless to stop them. Reggie Perry played his worst game of the season, did not score, uh, just just didn't, didn't look looked out of place. You know, you think about the way he's played, and you say, well, he, has, he doesn't look like a freshman. He looked like a freshman uh, last night. So State didn't really get anything out of its front court. They got points. Holman and, and Adu scored, but they didn't get anything on the other end of the court, and that's where the difference in the ball game was. All right, so individual numbers. The five starters all scored in double figures. 20 points, 10 rebounds for Eric Holman. 18 points, three rebounds, three assists for Nick Weatherspoon. Lamar Peters, 15 points, three boards, seven assists, turned it over four times. He also had three steals. He filled up the stat sheet last night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Q Weatherspoon, 15 points, nine rebounds, six assists. Doesn't need to turn it over five times like he did. And then Abdul Adu, 12 points, five rebounds. So that's great. For him, you got to yeah. get a little something else, though. Especially two points from the bench. And, and yeah, and that's the thing. When your rotation is a seven-man rotation, and despite what Ben Howland tries to tell you, it's a seven-man rotation. Woodard, Fiesel, they're just not playing significant minutes. They combined for six minutes in the game. you got seven guys that are playing. If all you have is seven guys playing, you better have seven guys contributing. Yeah. Or at least six guys contributing. It's the difference in a win and a loss last night. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. More coming up. Mississippi, Monday afternoon. Nope, nope, it's not. It's a Wednesday afternoon. No, don't you have that evil on us, Richard Cross. Mm-hmm. Two days from the weekend, and I want to rewind? Are you kidding me? That's a bad plan. 
Deuce McAllister joins us in about 15 minutes on the Farm Bureau phone line. Get a little preview of the Saints game coming up this weekend. Just a little bit after 4 o'clock, we will have Seth Greenberg from ESPN on the Farm Bureau phone line. We'll preview Ole Miss's matchup with Auburn tonight. Also get his thoughts on this Mississippi State team. What did last night mean? What does it mean going forward? Seth and I did the... um, I was an early game. I think it was a game against Hartford early in the season. So he's seen Mississippi State in person. I'll be interested to get his thoughts on the Bulldogs as uh, they get ready for a big one coming up on Saturday. Do, do, do you think the stakes just got raised even higher for Mississippi State with this game coming up on Saturday? Yeah. Against Ole Miss? Uh, I think this it's it's venturing. It. It's a little early for the word must win, isn't it? Oh, but are you going there? State? State can't go 0-2 to start this, especially with a home game against Ole Miss. I'm very interested to see Ole Miss tonight against Auburn because, I mean, Ole Miss is a confident basketball team. I, you know, I don't know what the atmosphere is going to be like there in the pavilion. I assume they'll have a good crowd. And, uh, you know, if they win that game, if they find a way to win that game, they're going to come to Starkville, you know, with just basically rolling at that point. They'll be playing with a lot of house money for a team that was predicted to finish last. So, yeah, State's got to put it together quickly with the Rebels coming to town on, uh, on Saturday. Yeah, Ole Miss has won eight in a row as of two days ago. So we're sitting on Wednesday. So Monday afternoon, the lower bowl of the pavilion was completely sold out, and there were about a thousand tickets left upstairs. So arena seats right at was it ninety five hundred, nine thousand, ninety five hundred. So you know, will, will all the people in those seats show up? I, I don't know. And my guess is that they sold, you know at least a few hundred of those thousand tickets in the last couple of days. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll see. Uh, should be a pretty good atmosphere tonight. Does it surprise you at all that the line on this game is just three? Auburn's favored by three? A little bit. It, it surprises me a little bit. But at the same time, I mean, Ole Miss is playing well, and they're playing at home. And, you know, as we learned last night, it's difficult to win on the road. So we'll see what happens. I'm not, I'm not completely surprised. Yeah, and Ole Miss right now uh, sitting at – 11 and 2 overall. So 13 games. If I've done the math right on this, they're 12 and 1 against the spread this year. Wow. Yeah. How about that? Gambler's best friend. Yeah. You know, if that's your thing. Uh, Tennessee wins on the road last night. So you had four games last night in the SEC. We talked about Mississippi State and South Carolina. Tennessee wins 87 63. They were down nine in the first half at one point. And then that mature Tennessee team. Did you watch any of that game? Did not get a chance to watch that, no. Man, they're so steady and so yeah. calm. No panic they don't sweat whatsoever. Anything. They no. don't sweat anything. They're just, we're going to go play our game, and whatever happens at the end, we're probably going to be on top. At the end of the first half, the combination of Admiral Schofield and Grant Williams was one for nine for three points. Well, they The them? other guys scored 32. Hmm. And uh, it obviously didn't stay that way. They pull away in the second half. Kentucky wins 85-74. Borky, take us into the bad beat scenario of last night. (laughs) So the line was 13.5, right? And wasn't it 13.5? I think it it was just 12.5, 13, 13.5, depending on where where people that gamble got it. Yeah, so it was a 14-point game, and... Both teams decided the game was over. You know how they do in basketball games with 10 seconds left and it's clearly over. They just kind of stand there and one guy dribbles the ball and they actually start walking towards each other and shaking hands. It's a 14-point game 
a Texas A&M player, as time expires, just throws the basketball up in the air from half court and makes the shot. So if you had Kentucky <laughs> minus 13 and a half, you won, but then lost on a half court heave just because as time expires. <laughs> Coaches uh, are walking to center court to shake hands. Players are already shaking hands. Everybody's walking off the floor. And the man for Texas A&M just lets it fly from 45 feet away, drains it. (laughs) Scott Van Pelt will have fun with that one on his Bad Beats segment on SVP. That's brutal. That's why you never gamble. LSU 88-79 over Alabama last night in Baton Rouge. It was a tight game for a while. LSU is pretty good, and yeah, they had a couple of bad losses early in the season, and it made you kind of wonder. Uh, Tremont Waters is playing better. I think he had 19 last night. Nas Reed's the freshman that a lot of people are talking about. Big guy down low. It's an LSU team that could be dangerous in the SEC. It's just interesting, you know, outside of the SEC network talking about LSU because they're obviously not going to say this. Pretty much everybody that covers college basketball, when they talk about LSU, they go, head coach Will Wade, for now. I mean, there's this massive cloud that's hanging over Will Wade that nobody close to the program or at the SEC Network is really talking about. Right. But everybody else in the country is. Well, you know how that goes. I mean, that's just, you got to protect the brand. It's all about the brand. Well, I'm, I'm, what about Alabama? Is it's it being talked about nationally? I mean, that's the other thing is this NCAA case is like the biggest much ado about nothing ever. I mean, nothing. We've talked about it before on the show, and Borky will say it better than I will. Nothing is going to happen. So, oh, you know, my assistant coach might get might lose his job, and but the the machine's not slowing down. So there's no point in talking about it. Yeah, but but in reality, isn't it easy for the NCAA to penalize LSU basketball? It, it, it should Absolutely. Be, yeah. Because it's not one of the brands that builds their billion-dollar-a-year tournament empire. And it's not LSU football. Right. right. <clears throat> We're not talking about LSU football. We're talking about LSU basketball. Which, in reality, they had a pretty good crowd last night. Pretty good environment but, for uh, a late tip against Alabama. But if they do take down LSU, isn't the, the next talking point narrative nationally, well, why didn't you take down everybody else involved? They've either got to do everybody or nobody. Because they've already turned a blind eye to a lot of things for a lot of years, so everybody expects them not to. But if you're going to punish somebody, you can't just go after LSU when you have thousands of pages of documented evidence with wiretap audio videos and and receipts on this thing, you've got to take down everybody or nobody at all, right? Well, then you're going to take down nobody at all because nobody they're not taking down anybody. I, I kind of disagree with you guys on this. I think it's taking a long time and is going to continue to take a long time. But I think you're going to see some pretty significant penalties when it's all said and done for LSU, Kansas, and Arizona. Just them, three, or are you, are you saying everybody involved? No, I think those are the three kind of headline programs. And, you know, we'll see. Maybe I'm 
you know, sorely mistaken on this. But I think Arizona, Kansas, and LSU are three that are going to, when it's all said and done, I think they're going to end up getting popped. I don't think Auburn is going to. I think so. The school that had an assistant coach get arrested and two players sit out for an entire year for accepting money, nothing is going to happen. To okay, them. That's but, but, but no, hold on a second though. Tell me what's different about the Auburn case than those other three that I mentioned. Head coach, it's an assistant coach versus a head coach. It's pretty clear that Bill Self had some knowledge of some of what was going on in Kansas. It's pretty clear that Sean Miller had some knowledge of what was going on at Arizona, and allegedly you've got Will Wade on tape talking with somebody about what was happening at LSU. That hold on, let me close the door comment, I mean, (laughs) that's the one that kind of lives on if that's on tape with regard to him. You know, the NCAA puts in their punishment documents like the key quote or the key line in, in big letters, like a long-form like journalism story. That needs to be their quote that they put at the very top. Hold on, let me close the door. And, and, and look, like I said, I may be way off base on this, but I think those are the three that kind of jump to the forefront. Maybe there are others. I don't think you're going to see anything significant with Auburn. I mean... Chuck Person's gone to jail, and you had players that missed significant amounts of time for Auburn. Austin Wiley and Danjel Purifoy, primarily. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see where this all goes. You guys may be exactly right. It may be a great big nothing sandwich when it's all said and done. Three games tonight in the SEC. Vandy, a two-point favorite at Georgia. Florida is a one-point favorite at Arkansas, and Auburn is a three-point favorite at Ole Miss. Coming up next, Deuce McAllister on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. We're back after this in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. Right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Our buddy Deuce McAllister, former outstanding player at Ole Miss, went on to star for the New Orleans Saints in the NFL, and he is the color radio analyst for the New Orleans Saints radio network. Colts at Chiefs, Cowboys head to the West Coast to take on the Rams, Chargers at Patriots, and then at 3.40 Central on Sunday afternoon, Eagles, Saints in the Dome. What's up, Deuce? How you doing, man? I'm great. Happy New Year to you. Good to uh, good Happy to visit New Year with you. to you. Uh, was that the outcome that you had for uh, Clemson and Alabama? Absolutely. Is that not what everybody picked? <laughs> <laughs> nah, for some reason, I don't believe that. But <laughs> hey, somebody on this show had Clemson plus five and a half. That that is that is correct. Michael Borky did make the call. I will give him credit for that. He he is a South Carolinian. By by birth, and he stuck with the uh, the home state team. So uh, probably some good picking there. Hey, Deuce, for there's always a little bit of a debate as to whether or not the off week is a, a good thing. If if you can win and kind of carry that momentum into the playoffs, sometimes that's good. If you're a wild card team, it seemed like the Saints really needed the off week to kind of get healthy and get ready for this potential playoff run. 
I, I think both ways works for you. I mean, really, when you have to, what you have to do is you really have to look at the team, the type of team that you have as well. You know, anytime that you have a veteran team, those guys are going to want some time off, a day, a couple of days off. But if you have a young team, then you, you, you really want to keep playing. I mean, because you want them to keep that momentum and you want to, them to keep that focus. But, I mean, if I'm banged up and I have probably a little bit older team, then, hey, look, I want my guys to refresh. And it, it's similar to a bye week during the season, but it's a little different as well. Because that bye week during the season, you kind of get away completely from football altogether. If you've got a bye week, to go into the playoffs, you're still locked in and focused on football, but it's more so resting the body in, in a sense. Does motivation matter in the NFL? A, a coach trying to kind of motivate his team once you get into the playoffs? Yes and no. I think the motivation, obviously, uh, is to win. But what buttons can I push to kind of inspire my guys uh, is always interesting with a coach and Guys do it in a different manner. I was used, in a sense, uh, back in '09, uh, not necessarily as a motivation motivation tool, but you know, it was uh, hey, say, look, Deuce, you've been a part of the run with us before back in '06. You've meant a lot to this organization, and we're signing you back now. I don't know how that helped the psyche of some of those players, but for our fan base, I think it definitely helped. And I think that goes into do you did you hear what Coach Sean Payton did today with his guys? I was going to ask you if that was if this was a real thing or if this is like one of those folklore legends that that is gaining traction. Is it a real thing? Well, when they first told me about it, I'm like, man, get out of here! That, 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 that's ridiculous. But it is a real thing, and it's interesting because all right, explain what guys, happened. Well, apparently, folklore says that he got uh, the Lombardi Trophy. And he put it in a basket, and the basket is basically like what you would normally do the laundry. And so it's one of those big baskets that you would roll roll the laundry in to and from to uh, to get washed. So he put the Lombardi Trophy in there, and he had uh, we'll just call it Brinks Brinks Delivery, um, the money company, also put. $250,000 in ones in that basket. For me, yes. And I know a lot of those players as well, you are inspired and intrigued by that Lombardi trophy. But he basically told them, you win three games with some different language in there as well, this is yours. This is what we're playing for. And so for the young guys, their eyes probably got really big and the focus was totally, totally locked in from there. So, so Sean Payton rolls into the locker room a, a laundry cart that has a quarter of a million dollars in cash in it and the Lombardi Trophy sitting on top of that stack of cash and says, if you win it all, this is what you each get. This is what we're playing for. and Not, not just the locker room, let's call it the team meeting. So if I want those guys to focus and lock in, that's what they're focusing and locking in on. And they obviously had a couple of security guards there as well because it is a quarter of a billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> you you, you got to win these three games before you can stake your claim. You don't get to take it out of here today. Deuce McAllister a- on your radio, color analyst, New Orleans Saints Radio Network. Is this team finally completely healthy? 
Yes, and what was interesting when you uh, look at this team today, uh, and we won't have a final uh, injury report yet. It'll be uh, probably another hour or so that they have to release it. But every player was present, which is an outstanding sign for this team. Every player that has been hurt, he was at practice today. Now, true enough, you know, you don't know if they actually practice, and that's what we'll see from the injury report. And even if they were a limited participant, you still had uh, Bushrod, you still had Warford, you still had uh, Armstead. All, all of the guys that were ha- hurt and out, all those guys participated today. Deuce, but because of the draft, because of the salary cap, because of a team's ability to cut players, because of trades, it seems like for most teams, when they get into contention mode, there's usually a pretty small window. And for this Saints team, because of some of those contracts and because of the money that's on the line you know, in years coming through, it feels like they're right slap dab in the middle of this window where they can legitimately make a run to win a Super Bowl. Is there added pressure? Do the players recognize that that's the case, that the opportunity to win usually is not one that lasts for a decade? It's usually a two- or three-year window? It's normally a two or three year window, and the Saints for them, they've been able to retool this team after going three, uh, seven and nine for three consecutive seasons. You know that Drew is on the back end of his career. You were able to hit with the right draft picks a couple years in a row. And so the, the Michael Thomas, the, the Alvin Kamara, the Marshawn Lattimore, the Andres Pete, all of those guys are on their first contract. And at some point, you're going to have to pay some of those players. And I think that's what the, the window that we're talking about that you have to have. I mean, because the other way that it's normally done is to have an outstanding rookie quarterback that's on a very, very cheap uh, rookie deal. Uh, normally because obviously the quarterbacks tie up the most money. And so there's a couple of different ways that you do it. You know, you, you have a young rookie quarterback or at least a, a really nice quarterback, a young, he's on his first deal, or you've got skilled players that are on their first deal uh, before they hit their second deal is really where they, they cash in. And so for this Saints team, they know that window, that time to win is now. Deuce McAllister on your radio. Deuce, I feel like most people look at the Saints and go, okay, being able to play a couple of home games to possibly get to the Super Bowl makes maybe the Saints the most difficult out. After New Orleans, who's the scariest team that's alive in the playoffs right now? For me, anything that can rush the quarterback without pressure, okay. so you either have a dominant defensive line or you have an experienced quarterback. I think that's how you have to win in the playoffs. You can normally, when you have a system uh, and it's not a pocket passer, it's hard to be able to do it week in and week out, but particularly in the playoffs because teams, you know, they're locked in, the game is faster, and, and they've got 16 games of film on you to be able to dissect what you do. I think that's what happens to Baltimore. So if you've got a, a, a pocket passer, a quarterback that can sit in the pocket and pass the ball, and if you have defensive line, a defensive line, it doesn't have to be just defensive end, but if you have a line that can get after the quarterback without having to rush someone, that's a dangerous team. And that's why I probably would have to say uh, the Rams are probably that other team. Just from a pure viewership standpoint, to take the Saints piece out of it, is Colts-Chiefs the game that's the most fun to sit back and watch this weekend? Yes, 
yes, I definitely think so. I mean, and, uh, you, you look at it, it starts with the young quarterbacks. You know, Andrew Luck was finally able to get healthy, and what Mahomes has been able to do has just been outstanding, and that's going to be an electric, electric atmosphere in mm-hmm. Arrowhead Stadium. And so, you know, you want to see how he handles his first playoff game. Uh, you know, Frank Wright has been there, done that as far as uh, a, a player. So you figure that his guys feel like that they're just, hey, look, we're, we're going to come in here and compete. They were not expected to be there in that, in that position, and so they're in a really, really good position as far as the coach is concerned. But you want to see how those quarterbacks play. You know, which which young quarterback is able to rise up to the, to the moment. What's the um, What's the Super Bowl winning cash share for the radio broadcast team? <laughs> we just get to go and, and and enjoy it and force force or tell Sean we want a ring as well. <laughs> no, no laundry cart for you anymore, right? Not 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 at all. I'm gonna just be happy to be able to smile and be there with them and enjoy it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, and Deuce, it's always a lot of fun to visit with you. Sunday should be Back fun. We'll be Sports watching Talk Mississippi and, uh, streaming at supertalk.fm Wednesday afternoon. No show brought you. to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com, where they know the lay of the land. Right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, we check in with Seth Greenberg, college basketball analyst at ESPN. He is in Oxford tonight for a basketball game, Ole Miss and Auburn, coming up at 6 o'clock from the Pavilion. Seth, appreciate a few minutes of your time. Happy New Year. What's up, big boy? How's life? Man, life uh, couldn't be a whole lot better, and basketball has finally taken center stage. We've gotten all that college football stuff out of the way, finally, and everybody's focused on hoops now. It's about time. I'll tell you what, it's a good year to focus on hoops. You've got some great, obviously, stories going on, whether it's Duke, whether it's Michigan, whether it's Houston, whether it's you know the Pac-12 and you know what's going on there, and, and whether it's Ole Miss basketball and the fighting Kermit Davises. Let's get to them in a second. I do want to ask you one one Duke question. So forgive me for being that guy because I get that there's like this running joke that's like, oh we're going to talk about Duke again, but Zion Williamson and obviously ESPN is pushing him. Have we seen as unique a star in college basketball as Zion Williamson in the last handful of years? Well, we could have said that about Trey Young last year. You know, I mean, if you think about yeah. it, you know, logo half court three point shots. Look, Zion Williamson is unique, and uh, and you know, to me, everyone talks about you know, his dunking in the three sixties and the putback. And you know, he's a basketball player. And he said that yesterday. I actually did an IA on it uh, yesterday for the morning sports, and I said, you know what? He's more than just a guy that is this physical specimen with this big body. He's got good feet. He's explosive. He's a willing passer. He rebounds balls out of his area. Uh, he's an alert defender. Uh, but the thing that makes him different to me is his likability because he does everything with a smile on his face. He, <laughs> he's magic-esque in a lot of ways in that he brings you in with that joy and the passion that he has for the game. And I think that's what makes him even that much more different. Is Ole Miss the biggest surprise right now in the SEC? Yeah, I mean, uh, look, here, here's the – Kirk Davis can really coach. I mean, he can really coach. And now he inherited three really good guards. Uh, three guards that probably last year, you know, with everything that went on, weren't as disciplined as they needed to be. They had the shot selection that probably AK would have wanted them to have. Uh, and AK, who did a terrific job, but, you know, I, I can relate to it because it was similar to what I went through at Virginia Tech. At some time, 
you need a change. And I'm sure AK had opportunities to leave and didn't stay to probably stay too long. I, I feel the same way in a lot of ways at Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. But having said that, Kermit has given these guys uh, a sense of purpose. Kermit has given these guys uh, uh, more of attention to detail. Uh, uh, the move of getting uh, a Tyree off the ball as opposed to on the balls made him them better at two positions. Shul's been terrific defensively. He rebounds the ball. He advanced passes the ball up the floor. Uh yeah, and then, you know, look, getting, you know, Bruce Stevens in great shape, which has been really important. And those two freshmen, I'll tell you one thing, Hinson and Buffett, now those two guys are going to be really, really good players. So I think they are the surprise right now in this moment in time in the SEC. Uh, in fact, you know, some guys have gone one direction, some guys have gone other. We thought Florida was going to be better. You know, they haven't been for some reason. Uh, you know, very tough loss to South Carolina the other day. Uh, early on, we thought Kentucky was going to be better. We don't know exactly who they are yet. But this is an Ole Miss team uh, that plays with great pace early in the clock and basically moves the ball and moves the defense and moves the defense side to side uh, and then gets the shot they want. I mean, look at their field goal percentage. Look at their three-point percentage. Look at their free throw percentage. Look at all statistical categories, the rebounding percentage. Uh, they're in the elite class of the SEC, and they've played a pretty good schedule. So, you know, I, look, I'm so happy for Kermit Davis. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny. He's, all the success he had in Middle Tennessee, and now you know, I think 11-2, and two, he's become an overnight sensation after being a head coach for like 20 years. Yeah. Seth Greenberg on your radio, former head coach at Long Beach State, South Florida, Virginia Tech, college basketball analyst at ESPN. Seth, as, as I've been a bunch of different places with, with people who didn't know that I had any ties at all to Oxford or, or Mississippi or Ole Miss, I've heard other coaches say exactly what you said. Man, Kermit Davis can really coach. Take me a step deeper on what that means to basketball guys. When other head coaches or other assistant coaches who've been around the game for a while randomly mention that guy can really coach, what are they talking about? Well, first and foremost, he earns his players' trust and they play hard for him. See, if a guy can coach, his team's going to compete, play hard, not take plays off, draw a line in the sand, uh, listen and hear. And I've never seen a Kermit Davis team that do that, didn't play really, really hard. So, I mean, you've got to have a connection with your players. You know, respect doesn't come with a title anymore. You have to earn respect with today's players, and Kermit Davis earns that respect because he is detail-oriented. He does He's not. He's not held hostage to a system. He finds a system that fits his his players. Now he wants to play a certain way, but he's going to tweak what he's doing to fit his personnel. You see, too many guys are what I call cookie cutter coaches. Uh, they say, "Well, yeah, I like that system. I saw that. I saw Michigan run that. I'm gonna run that this year." Well, it doesn't fit your personnel. It's not the right system. Uh, he he is a terrific tactician. He's a great practice coach. In other words, uh, they don't practice to practice. They practice with a purpose. Uh, he puts players in positions to play to their strengths. And that's what coaching is, putting your players in a position to play to their strengths and helping your players and your team get somewhere they can't get themselves. And if you look at his history, that's what he's been able to do. On top of that, he's got a likability about him. Uh, he's got recruitings about who's working for you when you're not there. If you don't like Herbert Davis, that's your problem. It's not his problem. He's also <laughs> a terrific recruiter in that he has the ability to evaluate. 
See, we get all caught up in ratings and recruiting. You know, what's he rated? What, three-star, five-star, top 100, top 50? I don't care what a guy's rating, right? Here's the deal. You've got to see not where a guy is, but where he's going. You've got to see what that kid is going to be like in the best version of himself. And Kermit Davis, whether it's Blake Henson or K.J. Buffett or uh, Reggie Upshaw or Giddy Potts or whomever these guys that he's had over the years, he sees kids where they'll go with it be, not where they are. So uh, likability, uh, understanding the game, understanding putting players in position to play their strengths, understanding getting guys to play hard, those are things that coaches really respect because those are traits when you put the package together, very few possess. Seth Greenberg on your radio, college basketball analyst at ESPN. He is on the call tonight for Ole Miss and Auburn game at 6 o'clock from the Pavilion. Last night, Mississippi State went on the road and lost to South Carolina. South Carolina 5-7 and seven going into league play. That They went on the buzzer-beater dunk against Florida on Saturday. They get an overtime win last night. Does the, does the game last night say more to you about South Carolina or about Mississippi State? We've got a couple of minutes left. Yeah, I like Mississippi State's team. I like their, their backcourt. Obviously, he's experienced and physical and tough. I think they've got legitimate depth. They have guys that come off the bench, whether it's Woodard or Carter or, or Perry, that can play. Uh, they've got a stretch four in home. And, I, and look, it's hard winning on the road, man. It, look, there, there are not a lot of Tennessees out there. I mean, Tennessee, to me, So, so that's not just Virginia, a cliche? The, no, no, man, it's hard, dude. I mean, it's hard to win. And those guys have got two veteran front court players that are physical. The thing that surprised me is the number of points they score. I mean, let's face it, at times they can get offensively challenged. So, uh, yeah, Mississippi State, uh, they are very good, but still maybe not to the point where they're just going to go on the road and win, and that's a maturity thing where they got to play the exact same way and deal with the adversity that you face on the road like a Tennessee did the other day. But Tennessee was down like 8 or 10 nothing to start that game. Right. Now, they went on this ridiculous run, took care of the ball, didn't turn it over. Grant Williams scored four points and had one rebound yesterday, and they won't going away. That shows the maturity and the toughness to them. Uh, so I think Mississippi is a good team. I wouldn't say they're a Final Four team. Maybe could they get to a second weekend? Uh, I don't know. They're an NCAA tournament team. There's no doubt about that. And, uh, and they have a chance to get better because, you know, Reggie Perry could get better. Waters could get better. I, I really like Carter. Uh, so, you know, they've got a nice team. Now, that game this weekend, I guess, with uh, Mississippi State and Ole Miss will be a, a good one, no doubt about that. So the league is good. It, you know, like yeah, the league had a little disappointing start, you know, to the season. Sure. But the league is still this league is still really good because there's really no deep bottom to the league. You know what I mean? 30 seconds left. Can Ole Miss beat Auburn tonight? Yes, yeah, sure they can. Got to take care of the ball. Got to do a good job in defensive transition. Uh, which is so important. Uh, they can't have, the, the live ball turnovers would kill them, and they got to rebound the ball. They rebound it, take care of the ball, and do a good job of bracketing and painting uh, Harper so they can't kick out the threes. This thing will go right down to the wire, and the fighting Kermit Davis will have a chance for a win. Fantastic stuff, my friend. Look forward to seeing you later tonight. All right, brother. Look forward to seeing you, pal. Seth Greenberg, ESPN. Red Bull in hand. Rippy has entered the studio. He's got a big night tonight. I mean, yeah, basketball's not going to be over till 8 o'clock. He won't be done writing until like 8.45. It'll be 9 o'clock before he can put his head on the pillow tonight. got to pound that Red Bull. Second one of the day, I'll be wired. That's your second one today. Yeah.
Oh, really? You, anytime you got two sports in a day, it's two Red Bull kind of day. What mm-hmm. it used to not used to call it two chin strap day? Yeah. Two Red Bull kind of day. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Ed Ogeron with you for the rest of the way this afternoon. Actually, Rippy's only going to be here for a little while. Ole Miss basketball tips off at 6 tonight. Just finished up with the uh, dual press conference. Uh, Rich Rodriguez and Mike McIntyre in front of the firing line or something like that. Probably not really a firing line. Not quite. They wasn't quite like they were being deposed or anything, but uh, it was kind of the first, you know, first public appearance, first kind of taste of what kind of they're going to bring to the program. Um, as far as McIntyre, the thing that really stuck out was him talking about it really struck him with these two hires that Matt Luke kind of put his ego aside and and hiring McIntyre said that? Yeah, and hiring two guys with that much experience, you know, standing on the sidelines next to him really says a lot about Matt and kind of what he wants to do for the program and that he's serious about winning and all that stuff. Obviously, you know, some of that coach speaks some of that, but I, I thought it was interesting that, that he pointed that out really unprovoked. He was asked a question. I don't remember what the question was asked, but it certainly wasn't directly related to that. Hmm. Um, did you learn anything today? Or, or what was interesting? I'm trying to think. The, the Them talking about facing each other, because they did face each other year in and year out for five years, Colorado, Arizona, was interesting. Um, Rich Rod talked a little bit about how kind of how life was away from football for a year, and he watched his son play because his son is still on the team in Arizona, and then he went around to some colleges and some NFL organizations to learn, um, sat in some meetings just as kind of a fly on the wall. And and says he's as energized as coaching as he was, you know, when he got his first job and, and things like that. So, you know, nothing too crazy learn at these things, but... You know, you kind of get a vibe for for the personality and kind of demeanor of of the two coaches. Did, did anybody ask the I guess semi obvious question as to whether or not this was kind of a stopgap until he becomes a head coach again, or do you think he's not looking at this job that way? He wouldn't really reflect beyond that. He said, "My role is to serve as the offensive coordinator here." You know, they had success last year. We're trying to build on that, and things like that. But neither one of them really hinted at at their moves going forward. Um, they did talk. They both did talk about because it's been a while since either of them have been a coordinator. Um, so they both talked about their coordinator experiences in you know in the early two thousands and late nineties and. And how some of that was some of the more enjoyable times they've had in coaching because there is less responsibility. You got about a third of the responsibility as the head coach, and so they talked a little bit about that, but but nothing really suggesting anything past this current stop. Any any discussion about recruiting and kind of their role in the recruiting process and what kind of reception they're receiving and et cetera. I asked Mike McIntyre what he's looking for in this February signing period, and he mentioned a linebacker to a couple more defensive linemen, kind of similar things that that Matt Luke echoed at during during his press conference after the early signing period. Um, Rich Rodriguez was asked if he'd be if they'd be in the grad transfer market at quarterback, and he said, "Sure, that's always something you're going to look at." And he said, "You know, it, being in the grad transfer market for a quarterback doesn't necessarily mean you're not happy with the guy you have here." He said, "We like Matt Corral." But you always want to build depth at that position. He alluded to a year at Arizona where he had his top three quarterbacks go down, and they played the last couple games with a tight end at quarterback. So he said it really is important to be two and three deep at that position. You know, they almost 
has Grant Tisdale coming in, and but I, I still think they probably explored that to, to try to build some depth at the position, but he made it clear that they like Matt Corral, and, and that's their guy. They have not met yet. Corral will be back in a couple of weeks, um, and so they have not met in person yet. He saw him a little bit on film in high school with Corral being a um, California kid. Yeah. Never saw him in person, saw him on tape, and remembered him committing to USC and then eventually to Florida and, and all of that. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. You can text the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. Is your phone a little rough around the edges? Well, there's a single place now that you can trust for all your phone repairs. That's C Spire. C Spire stores from Brandon to Tupelo are now certified phone repair locations. They can fix any problem on any device from any carrier, in most cases, while you wait. Stop by today. C Spire, customer inspired. Um, personality-wise, does does one of those two guys have a bigger personality, a more engaging personality? Were they kind of the same guy? Rich Rodriguez is pretty funny. He has like a, I mean, it's not directly the same, but an Andy Kennedy-like, quick-witted sense of humor. Um, he said he was the youngest head coach in the country at 24 when he got hired by Winston-Salem State, something like that, and then the youngest coach to get fired at 25 when they dropped the football program the next year. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he was self-depreciating. He's, um, he had a little bit of a sense of humor, but, you know, very, very limited capacity that you're seeing these guys in. Borky, you run in some different circles than I do. What What are your friends who are, you know, around your age group, Ole Miss grads, whatever, think about these two hires? They're pretty thrilled, honestly, because I, I think most people realize that the schematic upgrade that program is going to get is uh, – it'll be hard to believe until you see it. There is – even if they they lose eight games this year, the scheme on both sides of the ball is going to be obviously different, but – significantly better and that excites people because when draft day comes here in a few months and you have potentially two wide receivers go in the first round three at least go in the first two rounds for sure and a left tackle go in the first round and you had a veteran quarterback and their lack of production against decent teams was frustrating because they saw the system and realized that those players should be doing more that won't be a problem moving forward. Yeah, the talent's not as elite, but it's still a talented offense. I think you and, and everybody else listening are going to be shocked at how much better schematically they are next year on both sides of the ball. Yeah, it'll be interesting to uh, to see if that's how it plays out. Any discussion today with, with Rich Rod about kind of what that offense is going to look like in comparison to what Ole Miss's offense looked like last year? He said he's watched some film, not too much so far, but you know he mentioned there's, as most coaches do, there's a fine balance between his system and then fitting your personnel. Like he he mentioned, he's he's worked with drop back quarterbacks. He's worked obviously more famously with running quarterbacks. Um, so you know he he didn't really go into specifics with a lot of it. He said they will, you know, the quarterback needs to be a willing runner. They're not going to run him a ton. You don't want to get him hit too much. But Corral falls into that category, doesn't he? 
Yeah, so in the, I was looking this up earlier, and I, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but that the one game he got extensive action in, I believe, was ULM, and he broke a long run and ran six or seven times, I want to say, for around 70 yards and a touchdown or something like that. So I would say he falls into the category of a willing runner. Yeah. Um, if he can keep his hand out of the face mask of big defensive players, that'd be a good plan also. Probably a good strategy. You, you need your quarterback not to fight linebackers or defensive linemen or whomever. It's not a good idea. Yeah, the whole throwing punches at a helmet. Suboptimal. Pretty bold. Yeah, so he had six carries for 78 yards and a touchdown, and most of that came on a 61-yard touchdown run against the fighting Neil McCready's. Hmm. Um, glad to have you along for the ride this afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi. Anything else uh, from that deal today? Not, not really. It's it's hard. You know, those things are so. You know, pre- press conferences in that stage, I guess, are just kind of the basics. You know, getting another guy asking about the thought process of, you know, why he wanted to come here and things like that. Mike McIntyre talked about, you know. He did have some other options and things like that, but he was really kind of sold on coming back to Oxford, a place where he enjoyed. I think his, you know, he said the last time he was here, his kids were six, three, and two weeks. Now they're twenty six, twenty three, and twenty. Um, so you know, he 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 knew Matt going back, and then you know, kind of he said he enjoyed his time there, and it's something that he wanted to build off of. And he's a guy, he's a guy that has a reputation for doing a lot with a little, which is something he's going to have to do, particularly early in his tenure. Talked about that some, and then Rich Rodriguez talked about how he didn't know Matt Luke, but when Matt reached out, and he obviously knew Mike from you know coaching in the Pac-12 and things like that, that that that's something that really kind of sold him. He said Matt and Mike reached out to him, and that's kind of how that process. So, so there was no previous relationship between Matt Luke and Rich Rodriguez. He said he didn't know Matt. It's really interesting. He said it became enticing though once they started talking, and then you know he hired Mike McIntyre on staff, and he reached out to. But yeah, said they didn't know him. You know, normally when you think about a coach going out and hiring assistant coaches, there's some existing relationship that's there. You know, some tie, some connection. They may have crossed paths or something before, but you know, I mean, he he said I didn't know him. You know, whether that means they haven't met or didn't have much of a relationship. But yeah, I mean, to your point, it's interesting. I think it says something to the reputation, maybe that Matt Luke has among coaches, even uh, among other coaches. If he's able to reach out to a guy who is a former head coach and is pretty highly thought of, and has no previous relationship with him, and then convince him to come take the job, that's it's interesting to me. Sports Talk Mississippi. Back on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Just after 5 o'clock with you on this Wednesday afternoon, about an hour away from tip-off for Ole Miss basketball against Auburn tonight at the Pavilion. Don't know if it's officially sold out. Uh, Rippy told us on Monday there were, what, about a 1,000 tickets left in the upper deck. The entire lower part of the arena was sold out, so it should be a good crowd. saw a picture on Twitter a little while ago that showed, showed the, uh, the student section basically full an hour before tip-off. So uh, I guess that's a promising start leading into uh, into the SEC opener. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. you got land financing needs. Maybe you're thinking about building a dream house or maybe a cabin or maybe a shop. 
Maybe you're going to buy a piece of property and then put one of those things on that piece of land. Well, if you're in North Mississippi, Mississippi Land Bank is where you should go for all your land financing needs. They've been financing land for over 100 years, so they know the business inside and out. And they're good people as well. Mississippi Land Bank, you can find their branch locations online at mslandbank.com, or you can give them a call. Phone number's there. Talk to them about what it is that you need, and they will help you out at Mississippi Land Bank. Time right now, as it is every single day for the college football fix, it is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. That's the website where you can find all that's going on in your area, all the promotional deals, all the rebates, all the financing options on whatever car, truck, van, or SUV it is that you're looking for. That's buyfordnow.com. But don't stop there. Don't stop there because you need to mosey on down to your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Test drive the vehicle that you're interested in. Be happy to put you in it and send you home with the keys. I talked about it a little bit earlier. It is now official. Jalen Hurts has set himself up to be able to transfer away from Alabama. Graduated in December, he will be immediately eligible wherever he goes. Now, Borky, I guess it's worth saying this. Um, he doesn't have to transfer just because he put his name in the portal. But certainly at this point, all signs point to Jalen Hurts moving on. Is there a scenario where he goes back to Alabama one more year? I don't think so. I mean, unless he really truly doesn't care about playing because the the decision's been made. And I mean, there was a lot of hoopla made about his decision to stay. And he's a high-character kid, and everything is really good, and that still remains true, but... There was also a little business in that decision as well because now he has dramatically improved as a passer and he did not have to sit out a year. He got to win another title and he is far more appealing. Whoop, whoop, whoop. He got the chance to win another title. Oh, yeah. yeah. He gets to win well, an, he SEC wanted, he title. an SEC title. Uh, but he is far more appealing now than he was at this time last year. So yeah. he's still a high-character kid. And he still said and did all of the right things. But the people that wanted to say that there wasn't a little business going into that, they were misguided. Of course there was, because he has improved as a passer. You saw it. Everybody saw it. He's better than he was at this time last year. And so now he's more appealing on the transfer market. Um, and no, by the way, Alabama doesn't win the SEC championship without him. Absolutely not. If Jalen Hurts doesn't stay this year, they don't win the SEC title. They don't win the. They probably still get to the championship game. Yeah, they do. But they but they don't win it. Tua couldn't go anymore. They needed a spark, and they got it. What are they going to stick Mac Jones in the game and expect him to go win it? <laughs> I mean, with, with no disrespect intended, that wasn't going to happen against Georgia. So. No, and so where if you were him, where would you go? What do I want to do going forward? And do I want to go be an NFL quarterback? Do I just want to go play I in mean, the NFL? If we're being honest, he's not an NFL quarterback. No, he's not. You're right, he's not. 
did the strides he make in the passing game this year, can he make that same amount of stride again next year? And then get drafted in the fifth round and have two years to continue to improve as a passer, and you look up four or five years from now and he's an NFL quarterback? Maybe, yeah. Because to me, that's the only route for him to be an NFL quarterback. So what spot could he play in the NFL? Is he a running back? Is he a receiver? Is he flip over to the other side of the ball and play on the defensive side? He wouldn't be the first one that did that. He wouldn't. You're right. And this I, is a I different have... situation than Lamar Jackson because you had a lot being made of some teams wanted to see what Lamar Jackson could do at wide receiver. I have a feeling he's still going to end up playing not quarterback in the future, but he was a better passer than what we've seen from Hurts. But we haven't seen Hurts play a full season with an improved passing ability. Right. So, so, so your question is, where should he go? I mean, it's one thing to just throw out school names. I've heard lots of people go, oh, man, it would make all the sense in the world for him to go to Auburn. Except for the fact that it wouldn't. Because how would that help him with what he's trying to accomplish, which is to get to the NFL as a quarterback? So is going and playing for a year in Gus Malzahn's offense that is going to highlight the ability that Jalen Hurts has with his feet, is that going to help him beyond next year? Might help Alton win a bunch of games. But no, is that I don't think that would help Jalen Hurts. No, it doesn't help him. What you so think about what's going to help Jalen Hurts get to the NFL? If I were Jalen Hurts, I'm going to Florida and playing for Dan Mullen. That's a scary proposition for the SEC East. Now he's going to have to beat out Felipe Franks, and he's going to have to beat out Emory Jones. I can tell you he will beat out the first one. I don't know much about Emory Jones because we haven't seen him play in college yet, but I think he's better than Felipe Franks. (laughs) think so. Frank's got better and better as the season went along, though. Isn't that a product of more so Dan Mullen than than him? Well, yeah. So what do you think that, Dan Mullen the point could do that with Jalen Hurts? Well, I mean, Felipe Franks has got two more years to play quarterback at Florida. Do you want to invest in a one? Now, now Dan Mullen has not been very active in the transfer market, right? I mean, you had not seen Dan Mullen go out and get transfer quarterbacks rent a quarterbacks for a year. There are a lot of people that love that. Kind of get the feeling that Dan Mullen likes to invest in guys that are going to be there a long time. Um, it's just one thought. Um, That's the, that is my, the money question you asked, though. What does he want? Does he want to go win for a year and then right off into the sunset, maybe make an NFL roster uh, playing H-back or something, or does he want to be a quarterback and develop as a quarterback? What if Mike Leach calls Jalen Hurts and says to him the same thing that he said to Gardner Minshew? He said, hey, you want to come lead the country in passing? Would Mike now, Leach Now, if, I, if I'm Jalen Hurts, I would... Well, no, but if I'm Jalen Hurts, I go, I'm sorry, Coach, where did you say you are? Washington State. Where? <laughs> that, Pullman, Washington? <laughs> yeah, I appreciate the interest, but... Uh, I've seen some of your games. It looks cold there. So I'm I'm a I'm gonna pass. Thanks. What about the University of Miami? They need one. They do need one. 
Maybe worst places to spend a year for graduate school. Uh, DeAndre Francois today, the Florida State quarterback, announced he was coming back, which I don't know where he was going unless he was transferring. Um, but Florida State, I think, would have been an interesting destination had that not developed today. Maybe it's just me. I think I would much rather live in Miami for a year than I would in Tallahassee. Oh, it's not just you, buddy. <laughs> not, not just me? Um, <laughs> not even close. TCU apparently is making a full-court press after Jalen Hurts. They need a quarterback. Gary Patterson seems like he'd be a really good guy to play for. Like, good dude, good coach. And, um, and another, and we were talking about Venables yesterday, maybe, maybe he's just happy where he is. Gary Patterson probably could have gotten a bigger job, a, a place with more money and, and more fan support and the ability to recruit better players, but he's just, just happy where he is. Uh, Bradley and Mar- Marietta asks about Oklahoma. Obviously, Kyler Murray is out. I think they like the backup at Oklahoma a lot. Here's a suggestion. Jalen Hurts to Southern Miss. But imagine that he would put fun. up big numbers there. Tom and Laurel says LSU. I don't know if LSU is interested in Jalen Hurts. I think they like Joe Burrow, and I think they really like the Joe Burrow they saw in the bowl game that threw for 394 yards. Question here, does it make sense for Hurts to play at MSU for Moorhead, who developed McSorley, especially if he wants to get into the NFL? Uh, I'm not saying going to Mississippi State would be a bad idea, but I don't think that's the reason you go to Mississippi State. We got off on a bit of a tangent earlier about some uh, dorm room shenanigans from uh, my time in college, Michael Borky's time in college, perhaps your time in college. They have spawned some interesting text messages on the C Spire text line, 601 879 Four three nine five. The number for you to text the show. Ceasefire, customer inspired. Ceasefire does invite you to please not text and drive. I've teased it a couple of times uh, already since the start of the year. Some big news coming from Ceasefire later this month. It's going to be available only to Ceasefire customers, and look forward to telling you a little bit more about it when it rolls out toward the end of the month, uh, end of this month, beginning of next month. George from West Point. This is pretty good. When I was going to Mississippi State, there, uh, the chapel up near the Union would have music come on at different times. It says a friend got the job of managing that just so that he could have it come on at 3 in the morning playing Time by Pink Floyd. He had the only key and stayed away from campus when it came on. He was subsequently fired and put on probation by the university. <laughs> Just blare it in the middle of the night. Um, there was also this. Danny and Starkville. While at Georgia Tech in the early 60s, several students took a friend's VW apart and reassembled it in his dorm room. Poor guy had gone home with a buddy for the weekend. He had a Sunday night midnight surprise. All right, so cars obviously different in the 60s than they were now. Yeah. You disassemble in the parking lot a Beetle, a VW Beetle. You towed all the parts inside the dorm into the 
guy's dorm room and reassemble his car in the middle of his dorm room. That is fantastic. Do you get in trouble for that, I wonder? I, you would hope that that's just so good that the authorities, whoever they are, would say, hey, just disassemble it and go on about your day. Hmm. Like the common sense approach to it. Josh and Laurel says this is going to blow your mind, but he thinks Jalen Hurts should stay at Alabama. Yeah, I mean, I am just never going to... You have people that want that to be forced, like even if you've graduated to be penalized. If somebody receives their degree, they're not beholden to their university anymore. No, no. It shouldn't be. And and if he wants to stay at Alabama, great. But clearly entering the portal, his intentions are to leave. I, I support that. I, I don't like the practice of you get there your freshman year and – You're not playing right away like you were promised in recruiting because everybody's honest in recruiting, and then you leave. I I don't like that practice because most of the time when you're young, you're not going to – in very rare instances, freshmen have actual impact on college football teams. And so when you see that, I I don't like that. The the take-your-ball-and-go-home transfer, but if a guy's gotten his degree, go – do something else. I did when I got my degree. I, I left the town I lived in, and I had a job at the time. I, I quit that job because I needed to move on. If he's received his degree, he has every right and should go do what he wants now. Yeah. Um, switching gears a little bit, sticking with college football, the coaches convention is going on right now in San Antonio. AFCA, American Football Coaches Association, and there's not been a lot that's newsworthy to this point. But there is this from Adam Rittenberg at ESPN. Todd Berry, who's the executive director of the AFCA, says that FBS head coaches would like to see the targeting penalty adjusted so that there would be a targeting one and a targeting two. Targeting one, no malicious intent, 15-yard penalty. Targeting two... Malicious intent, ejection, multiple targeting two fouls, I guess in a season, could equal a longer suspension. I love that proposal. Absolutely. It's it's a no-brainer because there was a hit in the national championship game. It actually didn't get called, but... Uh, the video made its rounds on Twitter and people were screaming, how, how is that not targeting? How is that not targeting? And it was a hit on Trevor Lawrence. Trevor where Lawrence, Mac hit him, Matt, uh, where uh, the linebacker for Alabama hit him helmet to helmet? Yes. And the reason why that should, it, it, that why this rule is perfect, because that's a, a textbook targeting one. The linebacker in this situation, the, the game is so fast, and when you're looking at a slow-mo replay like that, it looks a lot worse than than what it really was. When you're playing linebacker and you size up a ball carrier, you commit to the hit, and once you do that, no matter what the ball carrier does, you cannot escape it. You're moving too fast. He's moving too fast. Once you size the ball carrier up, establish your target zone, and attack, you can't change your direction. 
Trevor Lawrence, after the linebacker has committed to his target zone, dropped his head straight down, and that caused a helmet-to-helmet hit. Those have to be legislated out of the game as much as possible, but there was nothing the defender could have done to prevent that helmet-to-helmet hit, and people are screaming targeting in ejection when that player, you can look at the video, is in perfect tackling position, and then Trevor Lawrence drops his head. So that would be a perfect execution of this proposed new rule. Well, my only my only question about and, and you heard my initial reaction. I love the idea of going targeting one, targeting two, kind of like flagrant one, flagrant two in basketball. My only question, though, is would this cause a reversion, if that's a word, in game safety? Because whether you like targeting calls or not, there is less helmet-to-helmet contact today than there was three, four, five years ago. And it's backed, in fact, the, the targeting penalties have gone down. Targeting penalties have gone down. But if you just watch a game, there, there's less of it. And it's because guys don't want to be ejected from ball games. They don't want to cost their team 15-yard penalties. So if you lose... The um, if the fear of being ejected goes away, unless you just make a malicious, dirty hit, then are we going to see a rise in the number of helmet-to-helmet contact issues? If it's just a 15-yard penalty, it's an excellent question. And if it's going to rise, then you can't change it. I understand why coaches want it, and and look, is it fair? To take a kid, a kid who, let's go to the play you were describing earlier, completely inadvertent, completely inadvertent contact, but it is legitimate helmet to helmet contact. Is it fair to take a kid out of the ball game with 11 minutes to go in the third quarter? He doesn't get to play the third quarter. He doesn't get to play the fourth quarter and he doesn't get to play the first half of the next game. Devin White at LSU would be a great example. It was questionable as to whether his hit on Nick Fitzgerald was even targeting, period. Wait, was it on Fitzgerald or was it some? Was that against? It was before the Alabama game. Was that against Mississippi State or somebody else? It may have been against somebody else. Looking that up for you right now, I think you are right, but I I will double check just to be sure. But you know the play I'm talking about where Devin White. A little bit of contact between helmet and the helmet yes, of the quarterback. State. Nick Fitzgerald targeting called two weeks later because the open date, he has to miss the first half of the game against Alabama. And that's not right. It's not right. So I completely get why coaches want to do that. Here's a, uh, a text message, and I kind of agree with this. No, I don't kind of agree. Uh, agree, I completely agree. Malicious is the wrong word. Intentional would be a better term. I agree with that. Malicious is just, okay, if it looks nasty. But here, here's, again, these things have got layers. You're asking somebody in a retook play booth, 
You're asking somebody at the Digital Replay Center in Birmingham to judge intent. Now, is that is that as simple as, well, it's hard for me to define, but I know it when I see it? It's kind There's of how they do you look it at the you go, There was no intent there. There just wasn't any intent there. There's some that are kind of gray areas as well. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.